This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. All right. So I guess there was some angelic activity today in service. Um, I shouldn't say I guess. So there was angelic activity in service today. It's just the, my, the way I speak sometimes it comes out not the right way. Um, so I, I just want to share, you know, there, there are three main ways in the scriptures that you see when an angel or a messenger comes into a situation and what it actually means. The first thing is obviously warfare, right? Like we know that there's warfare going on when there's activity in the spirit because there's good and there's evil, right? Um, but we also know that the scripture shows us that when an angel comes in, it's for unfulfilled promises that are about to take place or prayers that are answered, right? We see that in Daniel. He says, from the, from the first day you set your heart to me, to God, I heard, he, you were heard and I was sent. That's what the angel said to, from day one. Now, it took 21 days, but from day one, from day one, the day that he set his heart to God, that angel was dispensed. So we obviously know answered prayers, but also prophetic future and declaration and something's about to happen and things are about to change and transition. So I think we just need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that no, it's not, it's not gonna just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. God expects a transition, he expects a change, he expects something to take place and he's letting us know to be ready Right? We need to align ourselves with his will, his perf- purpose. And that's why the Bible says that he sends his messengers as flames on assignment. They are on assignment. They're not just for your good feelings or, oh, that's wonderful, an angel. No, they're, they're on assignment. They're for a purpose. Don't, don't assume that it's just be, oh, yeah, there's an angel here. There's an angel. It's, it's to let us know there's something important that God is doing. Okay? All right. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 11. And I'll just, I'll just actually just tell you what I'm preaching about today so you know. I, and you'll, when you hit the scripture, you'll, you'll realize where I'm going with this. But today we're going to talk about bricks versus living stone. Bricks versus living stone. All right, Genesis 11. You know what? I, I, I think you know this, most of you know the story, so I'm just going to go right to the middle of the content. I'm just going to start. Um, yeah, we're going to have to start with verse 1. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just go to the main section, but you're not going to get the context unless you hear the whole thing. Okay. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick instead of stone and bitumen instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower 
which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is, the, this is only the beginning of what they're going to do. And nothing that they have not proposed to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, or Babel, or where we get a lot of other other cities in the Bible, Babylon, essentially. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I just invite your presence here today. I pray, God, that you would give us understanding of the scriptures. Um, I pray, God, that you would let your written word become your living word, become life to us, become truth to us. We pray, God, for the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to come into the house and that you would reveal to us your will, your heart, your direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, when you, I'm, I'm sure when you read this scripture, you do what I did when I first read this scripture, it, it didn't quite make any sense to me. So I'm, I'm going to just give a few of the observations I made when I first read this scripture. Um, the initial observation I found um, was that it, it appears to be an ultimate attempt um, at the success of, of humanity or humanism. The worship of self. Like these people, they're just doing this because they want to make a great name for themselves. So why, what's wrong with that? They want to build a city and a tower. I mean, it's just, you know, that's what it looks like. You're just like, oh, they want to do something great. They don't want bad things to happen. They want a savings account, right? They want just in case, just in case the whole earth floods again, just in case, let's just make sure we're taken care of. Right? We'll get together, we'll form a team, and we'll do this thing. Doesn't sound bad. So that was my first observation. But by the way, this just tells us one side of the story. When God makes a statement, nothing they propose to do will now be impossible. Seems like a positive that God makes a negative. Doesn't it? I mean, people, I've literally heard people preach the scripture, and they say, see, they could build a city and a tower. What could we do? As if this has something to do with that, with human will and human effort and just, just that. And then God makes it sound negative, like they're going to do it. And we can't have that. I can't have, almost like it's a threat to him that they want to do this thing. And then the tower in the city it must have been beautiful because you've seen the pictures, right? Oh, it must have been a beautiful city and a beautiful tower. Because that's how you read the scripture. And that's all the pictures. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but we actually don't know what the city was looking like. And the tower was looking like. And they have all these interesting pictures of this city and this tower. And, right? Did you know they didn't finish it? So we don't actually know what it looks like. <laughs> but, the, but the city and the pictures look beautiful, right? Yeah, I'm going to rebut that. Okay, so, so what are they actually attempting here? What are they attempting to do? Through effort, 
Okay, I'm just going to say it this way. It looks like it's just humanism, but it actually isn't. Because every city, every city that's built, I don't care what city it is, every city that's built has a city, horizontal, and has a tower, vertical. Every society worships something. Every society. It doesn't matter if it's the United States of America. It doesn't matter if it's the Third Reich in Germany. It doesn't matter what it is. Every city builds a tower. And the idea of the tower, if you've ever read, um, get a chance to do it. Do it. I, I highly recommend it. Read Michael Heiser's book, um, The Unseen Realm. And he gets into what exactly is a tower and why were they building a tower and what does it have to do with heaven and why is there this importance in the scripture, the significance of this intersection between divine and human? Why is it important that they built a tower to the heavens? Why is it important that their desire was to access spiritual things in building a human city to make a great name for themselves. So, here's the deal. And this is, this is my observational rebuttal of the, the few points that I just made. First thing is first, is this humanistic concepts appear to, to lack the spiritual dynamic, and there's like this idea that there's hostility towards spirituality, right? We just want to fight against God. However, humanistic, humanism is not in opposition to other gods. I don't know if you've ever listened to a lot of these humanistic people talk. It's an opposition of the true God. This attempt was to create an ideal scenario for man, in man's eyes, by any means necessary, including the worship of other beings and other things and excluding the will of the true God. Why? Because they did not trust him. In our world today, we have, and I don't know if you've ever had seen these people, we have atheists talking about their value of the Muslim faith, their belief in the universe, the law of attraction, new age and Buddhism, but their complete disgust with the simple Christian ethics and values. I mean, they're like, that's stupid. They make fun of our little guitars and church services and our little family meetings. And they, call, they look at, I don't know if you realize this, but Satan despises the simplicity of the gospel and the church family. But you know what? <laughs> this is God's ecclesia. It's God's government. I don't know if you realize it. This is God's way he governs. This is his kingdom. And so it looks small, but it is mighty. In our world today, we, we see all this. And what's interesting is they do believe. They just believe in what aligns with their ambition, desire, and lust. Here's the thing. We see this statement of God's statement. Nothing, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible. Right? I read that and I'm like, that's, why, why would that be a bad thing, God? Well, I'm going to point out, um, and I, I, read a, I, read, I read different books. I read books that are not aligned with my value system. 
and um, I watch videos and commentaries and um, you see YouTube, a lot of different people. I like to kind of get in the nuts and bolts of, of, their, of what they say and what they believe. I don't like to just turn it on and go, well, that's stupid and just leave. I kind of want to understand them. Uh, does anybody know the name Glennon Doyle? Okay. I, uh, now, I'm just saying this. There's a, there's a whole world out there, um, and, and there's a, there's a I, I don't know if you want to call it a Christian ethic, but there's a group of people, and they use this term, deconstructionism. If you don't know the word, you need to know the word. You need to know the word. And the idea of deconstructionism is essentially the, the people, their faith, they want to figure out a way to say, where are the areas where we went wrong? Seems like good things, except it's all about the ambition of the heart. So listen, you can deconstruct all day long. You can deconstruct the whole faith. But what we're seeing is deconstructionism is leading to a group of people denying the virgin birth, denying the divinity of Christ, denying all of these other important things about the value of Christianity, denying what we know as what they call penal substitutionary atonement, essentially the justice of God, that we didn't really violate God's law, that we just really violated our law, and that we are the ones who need to forgive. But God God didn't really do that. It was kind of the whole thing at the cross. It was just a big play, and it didn't really need to happen. And so we're seeing this play out in our world, and one of the main proponents of this is Glennon Doyle. She started out as a, and I'm not here to speak against people. I'm just here to communicate ideas and just to kind of rebuttal them a little bit, okay? Um, Glennon Doyle, she writes a book. Um, Glennon Doyle was a Christian, um, she was a Christian blogger years ago. Um, and what ended up happening is Glennon Doyle found that she was not fulfilled in her life as a Christian. And so she divorced um, her husband, left her kids, married a, um, a woman, Abby Wambach, who is a professional soccer player, and she writes a book. And by the way, I'm telling you this right now, Christians are buying this stuff left and right. They are saying, well, look at what she's done. I mean, these people, they, they get on Oprah and they get on these, uh, important, these important people. They, they find they're, they're, they're bestsellers in this realm. And so a lot of Christians are like, well, they have some good qualities. Why can't I just, you know, look at, read their books and, and understand and try to comprehend? All that is important. All that, all that is understandable, except for the fact that what they value is not the Christian faith. When you re deconstruct the chief cornerstone, right? When you start asking questions about, when you start saying the virgin birth and the divinity of Christ, you are literally deconstructing, deconstructing the chief cornerstone. Jesus makes a statement, unless you believe that I am, ego a me, that's the statement, I am. It's the same statement that was said to Moses. Unless you believe that I am he, you will perish in your sins. We can't deconstruct the chief cornerstone. When we deconstruct, we can deconstruct. We can, we can move some things around and say, you know, yeah, I mean, I was raised to believe that women uh, could never cut their hair. 1 Corinthians 11, Right? The hair length and the Bible and the veil and the whole thing. I was raised in a church group that said you couldn't. Well, you can look at that scripture and start saying, okay, 
maybe we had that scripture wrong, okay? That's different than looking at Jesus and saying we had him wrong. Um, so she makes this statement in her book. She talks about Adam and Eve. And she says that when Eve ate the apple, that Eve was not actually supposed to be our warning, but our example. She says, own your wanting, eat the apple. So isn't that the opposite of the Christian ethic? Isn't that the complete opposite of what Jesus says for us to do? Alyssa Childress, who is a, who is a, she used to be in the band Zoe Girl, uh, has become a, a Bible teacher. And if you've ever, I highly recommend, she's not as, you know, charismatic and, you know, kind of what we are, but she's very biblically sound. And uh, she, she gives a review on the book. And uh, she talks about, she says, uh, Glennon Doyle's observation of the world states that sin is no longer what's wrong with the world, right? But maybe unrealized ambition. Think about that for a second. Sin isn't no longer what's wrong with the world, but maybe unrealized ambition, unexplored curiosity, the representation of why the tower was built is a way to distract us from the real issue, which is sin. We live in a world where this is the first time, this is the first time we've seen this in decades, where what we're teaching people isn't, in order to find true happiness, you have to look outside yourself. That's what, for years, that's been the statement. Look outside yourself. Find something bigger than yourself. Do something bigger than you. We're living in a society right now that is teaching us, look within. Find the true you. We are teaching people to stare at their belly buttons. And you know what you find when you look at belly buttons? Lint. Yeah, we said it. I'm glad we're on the same, right? Two or three witnesses. It was obvious that God's view of the great tower would be worse than any catastrophe of human history because it would be the complete intersection of spiritual access and man's unrealized corruption, not ambition. God had to put a stop to it. It's the same reason God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. So that they would not taste the tree of life and live forever in their corrupted state. It was for their good. Now, we don't like that because we, we think we are, are the parents above God. But I want to tell you what, uh, when my kids, sometimes they have to, they, Eric and I, we do the best we can to explain to them why the answer is no. We do the best we can, but sometimes my wife just says no. Why? Because no! You're not going to understand it. You're going to try to finagle your way, try to explain why it's okay, try to explain to us that, you know what, you won't do what the other, you know, kids do, that you're different. But at some point, you just got to know, just don't go there, man. Just don't go there. The scripture points out the intention of the tower was to get to the heavens quickly and as efficiently as possible. 
we ask the question, why has anxiety? <laughs> they did a survey. They found out in 2019, two out of three Americans were feeling either somewhat anxious or extremely anxious before COVID. Before COVID. We live in a society that is, that is high, highly stimulated, highly. And we look online and we look on all of these social media sites and everything is always better than it actually is. I, I, you don't see people's darkness, you don't see their depression, you don't see their pain. You know what you see? You see their beauty. You see their success. You see that they're building that tower to the heavens. And you go, gosh, I wish I could live that life. Why can't I live that life? Yeah, and, then, and then you look at it and you go, I'm intimidated. By the way, this is where a lot of anxiety is created. Anxiety is created when you are looking at a future self. You're looking at a future self and you're not seeing that future self. You're not seeing that future self play out. And then all of a sudden you realize you need to be something you are not. And it creates a deep-seated anxiety in your heart. And you don't know why. You know what Christ's solution for that is? It's justification. It's giving you his divine record. It's you accepting your humanity. Accepting his love over your life. Accepting that you belong. Accepting that he is purpose for you, regardless of your flaws, your insecurities, your lack, your shortcomings, your flaws. It's the same reason why all these therapists going around all over the place and telling people, you are worthy. You ever heard that? You are worthy. You need to tell yourself, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. They tell themselves, so let me ask you a question. What happens if the last 20 years of your life, you have lived a repugnant, despicable life, and you hear this counselor tell you you're worthy of love? What do you do then? We are telling people they're worthy when deep inside they know they're broken. And we are telling them, you're worthy, you're worthy. Just reach for the stars. You can do it. Look within, and they look within, and they don't see much, do they? They see pain. They see shortcomings. They look at somebody else. They see their own flaws. By the way, that word worthy, I don't know if you know, you've read the dictionary definition of that word worthy. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not intrinsic worth, by the way. The only way you can be worthy, see, even Thor knows this. Even Thor knows this. It's a performance record. Worthiness is not something you get by being born. Worthiness is something you get through a performance record. This is why there is only one, the Bible says, one who is worthy. One who is worthy. That is Jesus, exactly. And you know what we get? We get his divine performance record when by faith we put our trust in him. And he took on himself our sin. So we don't have to go pretending. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to say, look at my best life, living my best life. Love me, love me some me. 
You don't have to do that. You can worship God and glorify God and be happy with your life because you are in him. You know what's great? Is when you don't have to work from a place of deficit. When you live from a place of deficit, you're always reaching, you're always anxious, and you're never full of peace. But when you work from a place of abundance, which, by the way, you get at the point of faith in Jesus, this is the only relationship where you don't have to build a credit report to gain him. You get him all at once, by faith in him, and he shows his unmatched love in that he doesn't just say, okay, your sins are forgiven, you may now go. No, he says, your sins are forgiven, you may now come and receive everything I have for you. And we live from the love of God out. We don't live trying to reach to gain love. We don't love ourselves. Yeah, you don't, yeah, I know, I know people say, you know, you got to love yourself. You got, there's a lot of self-love out there. And I understand what they're trying to say. You can't love yourself without God loving you. Because you can't look at yourself and go, oh, I love you. Especially when you look in the mirror and you go, eh, eh. it's a little shaky there. You can't do that. You got to get God's unconditional love in order to gain that true, true self-confidence of I'm a king and a priest. But, but what's great, sometimes forgiveness is forgetfulness, right? Like God forgives us, he forgives, he forgives and he forgets. But sometimes forgiveness, it's also remembering. It's remembering where we came from. It's being able to go back to that dark place and say, that's who I used to be. That's what I used to do. That's how I used to feel. But thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ, Thank God through Jesus Christ, who has made me worthy, who has made me whole, who has made me complete, not by my own doing, but by his unconditional favor and love over my life. We think that this thing was beautiful. This is where we get to the main body. Okay, I'm making good time. Wow. I thought I was going to look at the clock and I was going to have five minutes because you know how I ramble. The scripture points out, obviously, that the intention of this tower was to do it quick. So we see this. We see that what they did is they used brick. They didn't use stone. Why brick? Well, brick can be manufactured. But what's interesting is that when they did the brick, it doesn't say that they set the brick. This is how they built brick back in the day. They would make the brick out of, you know, that material, like lime material, um, rock, and, and, they would sit, and then they would sit it out. They would sit it out for it to dry. What they did instead is they burned them thoroughly because they were in a hurry. We got to get this thing up. We got we to hurry. We got to hurry. We got to hurry. There, there was no peace here. And then on top of it, what they, what they did is that they made sure that they would never run out. So if they built stone, you know, they would run into issues because stone doesn't go up as fast as brick. Right? Because you got to make it fit. It's all these little pieces, right? You get brick, man. You just lay that sucker down a line and... Right? And, and you, just, you just have these guys. By the way, it, it doesn't say they took a Sabbath or anything. I'm, I'm imagining they had these people working for them. I know we imagine these are this, just, this is great dynamic team. 
and uh, you know that this is just this is just a group of people that really they're just really on it. They just hey, your turn now, my turn. Hey, yeah, you go up there and. You, no, no, no. See, when you create a, a society based entirely on production, do you know you create slaves out of people? Do you, do you know what else you do? When you build systems, like, I'm going to just build brick. You know, you know what's the thing about brick? Brick has no shape to it. They all look the same. This is, this is by the way, this is where Marxist ideologies come from. You know that, right? This is where this con these concepts come from. They come from this idea that you all have to look exactly the same. There is no independence. There is no uniqueness. There is nothing. You have to fall in line. And we're going to get into how Christ builds his house, just to let you know in a second. So they created this. By the way, burning the bricks thoroughly, it makes the bricks also, it makes them harder. The Bible says they used uh, bitumen instead of mortar. So let, let me explain it this way. Um, we use this material when I lay, I lay brick. We use um, essentially two hardened materials. We use lime and we use Portland cement. Everything you see on the ground is Portland. And most of what you see in the wall with brick is a mixture of lime sand in Portland most of the time. Now, lime has, has been there for thousands and thousands of years, and they probably had it during this time. We have a record that lime was probably there around 5000 B, BCE. And so they probably could have used lime. It's a natural thing. It comes right out of the ground. But instead, they use this material called bitumen. And it is a more, it's, a, it's a tar is what it is. So they're throwing this sucker up fast. They're not even laying, they're not even laying a, a nice... Uh, grout line, a nice joint. They are, they are just splattering tar. Why, why would they use tar? Well, they don't want another flood to happen. Tar, tar is waterproof, right? Mortar is porous. So what are they doing? They're trying to make sure that they can protect themselves just in case God decides there's another flood. They're trying to cover their tracks. They're trying to protect themselves from God. They're trying to say, we don't want you, we want our own way. And we will do everything we can to ensure that we don't. And the intersection of this tower and this city was the worship of other gods. Now, when you read Michael Heiser's book, you begin to see this. The ziggurat, the temple, these are places that what they did is it's, it's, it's basically a temple to represent the spiritual realm of other gods. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be a reflection it's, by the way, it's the same way the tabernacle was created. With the elders, with the beasts, with the cherub, with all these different things, the tabernacle was created to reflect the divine throne room. It's the same setup. These, in this scenario, what they're doing is they're building a temple. They're building a place where there's an intersection where they can make a name for themselves, but their dependence is upon other gods. We think sometimes that if it's humanistic, that they don't worship other gods. It's not true. We all worship a god. We all worship something. We all believe in something. We all put our whole faith in something. The question is, is all, where, we all sacrifice, by the way, to something too. Sometimes we lay down our families. Sometimes we lay down, we lay down our 
goods. We lay down our happiness. We lay down our comfort. We lay down a lot. We sacrifice in many different ways in order to gain these gods to us to make a name for ourselves. We've seen many people try to build this way, where every person needs to be aligned in an independent purpose and vision, where every person needs to look identical, where every person needs to talk the same and look the same because it's better for society as a whole, where equity is necessary because humanity has no individuality and no person is unique from another. We think money's the end all. That's the problem. We think we all need to have it because we worship it. If I'm poor, I'm still rich. We think everybody needs to have a, have a house, a track house, that they all need to look the same. We think everybody needs to have this item and that item. And I mean, what are we doing when we look online? What are these, this is, this is the, the thing of the 21st century. It's guruism. People teaching you how to get this body, how to get this money, how to get this. Thing. And when we can't get it, we go, I, I have been dealt wrong. No, you haven't. Some of those things you were never intended to pursue at all. You have not been dealt a bad hand. We have to start realizing that our life is not in this. this. We should not be comfortable with a broken world. We should only be comfortable in the kingdom because the kingdom is a place that we are citizens. Here, we should not be like, I'm comfortable. No, you shouldn't be comfortable because this is not your ultimate home. Okay? You can have moments of comfort. You can have moments where you have a bank account or you have this or you have access to different things. But the point is, is that because we put so much weight into these things, we think everybody needs to have them. So let's talk about God's kingdom. See, God also has a city and God also has a tower or a temple. Okay? It and I'm going to say this, it looks like family. When people, when, when using the word temple, the intention is to connect God's presence and have the intersection of the spiritual and the physical. God's temple is, this is what's different. See, a new covenant believer, this is what's different. God's temple is the individual Christian and the congregation of his people. I'm just going to say there, there is nothing. I know this is going to be hard for a lot of people. This is going to be hard for a lot of people. The New Testament church does not shrine any temple facility building. It doesn't shrine it. It doesn't make it a place where God dwells. It says specifically, God does not dwell in places built by man's hands, period. I don't want to get into any further than that except to say that there is nothing specifically sacred about that piece of wood right there. The only thing sacred about this facility is the fact that we are in it and we are in it together. And God inhabits the praises of his people and he goes where his people are. This is why everywhere you walk is Everywhere you walk is his kingdom. Everywhere you walk is the presence of God. Everywhere you walk is the temple of God. Everywhere you go, God is, in, God is <laughs> pressing in to areas that are... Stupid fly. 
Barbecue. <laughs> God is pressing in to areas and communities through you. Everywhere you walk is holy ground. Have you ever asked the question, by the way, why God asked Moses to take his shoes off? I mean, why not take your shirt off? What's the deal with shoes? Like, what? I'm walking in a holy, oh, take those shoes off. Dirty shoes, nuh-uh. Shoes? Why shoes? And, you know, I grew up in a, in a church world where it was suits and tie every Sunday, right? And they would say, you come into church, you want to dress your best because you're in the presence of God. And God, in Moses in the presence of God, took his shoes off. Why shoes? We think that coming into the presence of God creates austerity. It's actually the opposite. Coming into the presence of God creates vulnerability. I'm going to tell you this. When you take your shoes off, you lose the protection on your feet. You are in a vulnerable situation, especially in that area. I mean, walking on weeds and rocks and dirt and we didn't have, they didn't have like sidewalks. So he's taking his shoes off. He's making himself vulnerable. What's the number one way they worshiped in the Old Testament when they were in the presence of God? On their face, prostrate. What's that a sign of? That's a sign of holy ground. You're, you're standing in a place on holy ground, vulnerability. I'm going to tell you this right now. Christians should be able to turn themselves inside out and to live that way. Why? Because we have a vindicator. We have a justifier, right? We have our own vindic- We have our own personal vindicator. We have our own personal justifier. We are our own shepherd. When a Christian constantly tries to, in, a, in, a, in an extreme way, and I don't mean... I don't mean have moments where you want to defend your words or what you said or any of that, but in a place where you feel the need constantly to cover yourself, protect yourself, or build your own tower that protects yourself from the possibility of what God might do in your life. When you are a temple and you are in the presence of God and you are constantly in the presence of God, if you are a Christian, you are constantly in the presence of God and you have to realize That God doesn't like to bunk with other bad spirits. God wants you all to himself. So, since God has a city, God has a temple, he has a temple. Hebrews 12.22, I don't know if you want to bring that up says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering. Although there will be a consummation of the ultimate, we know there will be a consummation of the ultimate heavenly city, the Bible says that right now we've come unto that city already. That means that we are in the kingdom. We are already in that city. Now, as I said, there will be a consummation. Here's the thing. You are... In that city, what you are doing here is you're just an ambassador to that city. Okay? You, you don't really belong here, but you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to speak into an area 
on that city. You're, you're bringing the gospel of the kingdom. This place cannot be shaken because God has built it. Every other kingdom will be shaken. And it's good when things shake. It's good when your life gets shaken. It's good. You ever said that? This is good. I'm losing money on this thing, but you know what? This is good because something's being shaken here. I don't know what it is, but something's being shaken here. God has built his city and he's building it one stone at a time, not one brick at a time. It says here, 1 Peter 2, 5 says, as you come to him as a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a few things, the difference between brick and stone. You're a stone, you're not a brick. You're a stone, you're unique, you're special, you're, you're individual, God loves you just like you. So you're unique, there's something special about you. You belong in a family. Even weird, Uncle John, I actually have an Uncle John, I shouldn't say that. He might end up hearing this and be like, hey, what are you talking about? Even weird Uncle Bob, who's Mr. Conspiracy Theorist in the corner, right? He has a place in the family. He's always got these crazy ideas of this and this and that. You know, we celebrate Bob, not his stupidity, but we love him. And we sharpen each other, right? Bob needs a lot of sharpening. But we all need a lot of sharpening, don't we? We're not supposed to leave the family. Here's the thing. The difference between brick and stone, one is manufactured and one is natural or created by God. You are created as image bearers of God, okay? Here's the deal. You're image bearers of God. That means that it doesn't just mean that you're created to look like God. It actually means you're created to show God to show what God is like, your image bearers. Brick all look the same, even similar. Stones are extremely unique. And it says you are many members in the Bible, and there's one body. By the way, a crack or break in the stone does not make it a throwaway. Brick it does. Either that or I gotta end up cutting halvesies on that thing. If, if it is a stone and it is cracked, Still good. It still fits. But here's the deal about stone. I don't know if you know this, but you yourself have to adjust a little bit in order for your brother or sister to fit sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know what? You know what's even worse than that? Sometimes you got to get cut. Somebody's got to take a grinder out and vroom. Why? Because that piece is no good because it doesn't fit within the body. And it is actually not that redeemed. Like, I miss that ex-girlfriend of mine. I'm not talking about myself, obviously. I've, I've never missed an ex-girlfriend in my life. But you're like, oh, I miss that job opportunity. Eh. No, you, you need, something needed to happen there. Something needed to happen. You need to be cut. Stones must adjust to one another to make it work. It's what creates the beauty. Stone, when you build a house, uh, I want to read a scripture. It's not in my notes, but I think it's really important. 
I, I think it's extremely important. It just kind of hit me. Um, God is patient. Sometimes because we're frustrated with our lack of progress, that we think God is frustrated with our lack of progress. You ever felt mad at yourself? You ever been disappointed with yourself? And you go to God and he tells you, I love you. And it almost doesn't even make any sense to you. I want to read you this scripture. It talks about this servant whose God has put his spirit on him. It's talking about Jesus, right? It's a prophecy about Jesus. It says he will bring justice to the nations. He will bring justice to the nations. This is interesting. Because you have this idea, this militant leader coming in, bringing justice to the nations, this leader, right? But it says, he won't cry aloud or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. That doesn't sound like a leader. It says, he will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. Who's the bruised reed? You're the bruised reed. He's you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I... Here's the deal. We think God is hard on the people who are broken. Because, because that's how we are with ourselves. So what do we do? We just, uh, we just get mad at them because we're frustrated with their lack of progress. But guess what? God is treating them kind and gentle. He will not crush a bruised reed. If you're bruised, he's not crushing you. He's loving you. He's rebuilding you. You do not put... You don't get on a broken leg and go, I can do this. I can do that. You don't do that. If you do that, it'll make your leg worse. You put a cast on a broken leg and you rest it. God is the same way with you. God is supporting you. I don't care what they say. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of me leaning on Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. They're like, you know, these Christians, they're just weak. So what? It's not like we, it's not like we don't know you're weak. It's not like we don't know. You're just pretending. It's like John Maxwell says to a leader who told him, never tell people your weaknesses. John Maxwell tells them, um, you're assuming they don't already know your weaknesses. The only thing you telling people your weaknesses does is it lets them know you know. Oh, I'm, thank God he knows. Thank God she knows. That's all it's doing. But it's not, it's not like... It's not like you can somehow um, not lean on something in life. Um, you got to lean on something. Yes. So he won't crush a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He won't, he won't look at you as you're just barely flashing just a little bit. He will carefully hold you so that you don't burn out. He doesn't want you to burn out. He doesn't want to crush you. He doesn't want to put more weight on you when you are weak. And it says, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he's established justice on the earth. The coasts and the islands will wait for his instruction. Bringing justice looks like love. Are you praying for your leaders? Are you calling them demon-possessed? I get it. I get it. Are you saying, God, if it hurts you, it better hurt you. You better get on your knees and you better say, dear God. And I'm not going to name the politicians. 
But you better get on your knees and you better ask God, God, save their soul. God, touch their heart. Not just for the sake of my country, but for the sake of their life. For the sake of their life, for the sake of their future. See, if we had compassionate hearts, we would see this better. This is how God brings forth justice. He brings forth justice this way. So here's the deal. Since God is building a spiritual house, the church is not primarily militant, right? We, we learned this last week with um, Pastor Christie talking about how the church is not primarily militant. It's not a military. It's not a corporation. Church is not primarily a corporation, right? The church is primarily family. That's why it looks like organized chaos in here sometimes. Because it's family. We love you. You love me. Hopefully you love me. Okay, good. We're a happy family. So these are my, here's my closing thoughts. I'm going to end with this. And I haven't got to noon, which is good. All right. Closing thoughts on how we should apply being living stones. How we should be in opposition. More closely to what God has called us to do. See, in the Tower of Babel, Babel, they transcended. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to humble ourselves in God's family by serving one another. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is going to be a hard one for some people. We do not cut people off if they're not like us, if they don't think we're amazing. Do you hear what I'm saying? I hear people all the time, get that person out of their life. They're bad for you. I'm not saying you don't have boundaries. You don't cut people off. You, you, you can have boundaries. You can say they're not going here, but you don't go, I'm, and I'm not talking about abuse, and I'm not talking about restraining orders, and I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm having a conversation about people who are offended by other people who tell them the truth. And then they cut them out of their life because they are tired of feeling humiliated or whatever the case is. You don't cut people out of your life. Instead, you, we submit to one another in love and we forgive one another in tenderheartedness. The Bible speaks so much about being tenderhearted and sincere. 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 The comedy world out there now, and I love comedy as much as anybody, the comedy world out there now is making fun of people who are sincere. We watched Rocky the other day and we saw these two guys, Rocky and what, what was... Uh, What's, what? No, not Drago, the, his buddy. Apollo, thank you. And they're running and they're like hugging each other, and, right? And we're like, you know, when I was a kid, I never thought that looked funny. But because of all the cynicism over the years, now I look at that and I see that looks funny. Don't lose your sincerity and your tenderheartedness. Don't, <laughs> to the pure, all things are pure. Be pure. Be pure in heart. I'm not saying don't be discerning. I'm saying be pure in heart. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God's, God in Christ forgave you. We don't push our own way and make our own way like they did in the tower. Instead, we submit to God's ultimate purpose for our life. God's ways are always better than our ways. He causes good things, but he does not add sorrow to them. Some people are like, how do I be rich? Well, just do the things in the Bible 
Just do the things in the Bible. And in this society, you'll be richer than you could ever imagine. Now, I don't think we think riches are, I need to make a million dollars. It's not. You need to look at riches differently than that. You'd be living in a studio apartment and, and going paycheck to paycheck, but still have this sense that you are rich, that you, because the Bible says God adds riches, but does not add sorrow to them. Okay, so when God adds to you, just know this, if it adds sorrow, it, it probably, you probably need to fix some things there. Bible says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time, he may exalt you. This is what it looks like. It looks like you saying, I'm gonna go in the secret place. And that's God's hand over your life. And when God's ready to move, he's gonna crush every enemy. Cause you're under his mighty hand. His mighty hand, no, nothing will touch you if you're submitted under his mighty hand. He will crush every enemy. I'm not saying you will not experience pain. I'm not saying you won't experience suffering. I'm saying that you will always be in a place of peace and in joy and in righteousness. I'm gonna just end with, with this closing thought. And, and this is what I wanna do. Um, does anybody, I wanna ask the prayer team first. Any, anybody in the prayer team ready to pray? Like really ready? Okay, good. Why don't the prayer team come forward? Come, come forward. Here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. There's no pressure on you to do anything you don't want to do. But here's the deal. You say, I do have something in here, okay? Is there a person in your life that you've cut off that maybe you need to just reach out to and say, hey, I just wanna let you know I love you and I'm praying for you. You don't have to go and buy him coffee or bring him to dinner. That may be something God might want you to do, but maybe there's somebody out there you need to really connect with, okay? Maybe, there's just a wound, just a wound, an emotional wound, that you know what, you don't, it just stays underneath the surface. And you don't know how to resolve it, but even just having somebody pray with you might really reinforce God's grace in your life to let that thing be healed. What I wanna do right now is I just wanna invite you to the front as they lead us in worship and get prayer get prayer from the team here and just ask the Lord, just say, Lord, I want to be whole. I want to be. Now you already, you already are made in Christ, you're whole, but you want to experience that peace. And this may be the beginning of a trajectory in your life where you stop building that dumb tower and, and instead you start building on the chief cornerstone, Jesus and saying, I'm gonna establish my life on his principles, on his ways and not my own ways. And I'm gonna see what fruit it bears, amen.